0: Democrats with ha- all the fraud they have done in this election the Republicans hiding and not fighting they are trying to silence your voice oh shut up Madison Cawthorn did I silence your voice well I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling there's something right No, thanks. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair and I'm wondering i get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet it's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com fighting for democracy and against fascism. At home and abroad for nearly 20 years now, and uh, frankly, never more so than today, sadly. Thank you for joining us for the broadcast. We will get to uh, Madison Cawthorn in due time, uh, as he is, uh, well, you know, back here at home. We've got to uh, take care of our own house, frankly, even as we're watching overseas what is happening with the uh, autocratic dictator in Russia attacking Ukraine next door and the atrocities and horrors that are now going with it. You know, it's difficult because there's not a lot that we can do about what is going on over there, but we can take care of what is, or at least try to take care of what is going on in our own house. Uh, That is, uh, you know, and a bunch of folks like Madison Cawthorn, who until recently were, you know, lauding Vladimir Putin as a great leader. Anyway, we'll get there in a moment. The atrocities uh, and make no mistake, these are atrocities and war crimes of the highest order. Uh, Those continue today as Russia reportedly bombed a Ukrainian maternity hospital on Wednesday, devastating it in the besieged port city of Mariupol Amid growing warnings from the West that Moscow's invasion is about to take a much more brutal and indiscriminate turn, perhaps to include chemical weapons. The ground shook more than a mile away when the Mariupol complex uh, was hit by a series of blasts that blew out windows and ripped away much of the front of one building at the maternity hospital complex. Vladimir Nikulin, a top regional police official standing in the ruins, said today Russia committed a huge crime. It is a war crime without any justification. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky wrote on Twitter that there were, quote, people, children under the wreckage and called the strike an atrocity. There are few things more depraved than targeting the vulnerable and defenseless, said British Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Twitter, adding that the Russian President Vladimir Putin will be held, quote, to account for his terrible crimes. I hope uh, Boris Johnson is right. In Mariupol, uh, during a short window for a ceasefire, local authorities hurried to bury the dead from the past two weeks of fighting in a mass grave. City workers dug a trench some 25 meters long at one of the city's old cemeteries and made the sign of the cross as they pushed bodies wrapped in carpets or bags over the edge. The strategic city of... Um, Nearly half a million people on the Sea of Azov has been encircled by Russian forces for the past week. No power, no water, no food. Nationwide, thousands are thought to have been killed, both civilian and soldiers, since Putin's forces invaded. The fighting knocked out power to the decommissioned Chernobyl nuclear plant. Raising fears about the spent radioactive fuel, some 20,000 Uh, Radioactive fuel rods that are stored at the site and must be kept cool. uh, Whether there's power to the plant or otherwise, no power has been uh, 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 produced. Uh, Nuclear power has been produced at the Chernobyl plant for decades following the world's worst nuclear accident back in 1986. But the cooling systems must continue to run. Pretty much forever in order to keep the rods from melting down entirely without uh, power from the grid. Diesel generators are uh, are said to be uh, up and and running now and able to keep the power up to the to the uh, uh, plant for for only two days Then what happens, Desi Doyen?
1: Well, then, hopefully, they truck in more generator fuel, probably diesel fuel. Um, The International Atomic Energy Agency has been issuing statements all day uh, regarding this situation and the one at the other nuclear power plant, the the Zaporja nuclear power plant. They say that um, the loss of power at Chernobyl would not have a critical impact on essential safety functions at the site at this time. According to the IEA, IAEA and the nuclear, uh, the Ukraine nuclear regulator. So that's as long now. as
0: the the generators continue to go, and as long as they Correct. can add diesel fuel, and as long and as they can bring the diesel fuel into the uh, in, into the area.
1: Right. And so one assumes one assumes that the Russian military would not want to poison their own people, and also, by the way, any radioactive cloud would also go into Russia. So if there are problems here, it would also harm Russian so perhaps that would be a mitigating factor in ensuring the ongoing safety of both of these nuclear power plants. Well,
0: one assumes one assumes that one Russia hopes. wouldn't want that. One hopes one wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't want that. But at this point, who knows? I mean, things here are uh, as, as horrific as they are. I think that they are much more horrific than we can even know right now. And frankly, it's maddening uh, that it feels like we are so powerless here. But there are some things that we can do, even as they, uh, in a certain regard, seem small. Uh, I mentioned yesterday what may become my new mantra for a while, frankly, help fight fascism, work at home (laughs) if you can. You know, we greatly curb the use of oil, which is right now that's the lifeblood for the Russian economy for the Russia war economy, for the Russian attack on their neighbor. Uh, But, you know, during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, people were working from home. They learned how to do it over the past two years. We can do it again. That as Republicans are both demanding that Biden end fossil fuel imports from Russia, which he actually did on Tuesday, and blaming him somehow for the spike in gas prices. The gas, the spiking gas prices that apparently they support because they supported cutting off the fossil fuel imports from Russia. So nice trick, you know, having it both ways. Happily, many in the U.S. are actually just fine with paying more for gas. No matter how much you see about, you know, where they find these outlier stations that are charging seven dollars a gallon out here in California, that could happen. They could go up that high. But But, they aren't
1: really doing that right now. But they aren't really
0: doing that right now. They are going up. There's no question about it. But most people in the U.S. are just fine with that, you know, in order to help fight fascism right now and help prevent uh, potentially World War III from breaking out. Yesterday, uh, once again, I cited a poll that we we first noted last week from Reuters Ipsos finding that a majority of Americans, 58 percent, Uh, Last week said that paying more for fuel and gas because of the Ukraine crisis was, in fact, worthwhile in order to defend another democratic country. And that was up 10 points from just one week earlier in that same poll taken in the days prior to uh, Russia's invasion of their sovereign neighbor. Now we have a new poll from a different outfit, this one from Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal. Yes, the same guy who owns Fox News, where they've been making these pretend arguments about outrage over gas prices and the need for Joe Biden to somehow force American oil and gas producers to drill more. Even though those producers have thousands of permits on millions of acres of land that they are choosing to not use right now. They are choosing to not drill on right now. Anyway, this new poll from uh, Wall Street Journal shows that even more Americans now are just fine with paying more for gas if they must. Despite the GOP and Fox News attempts to turn this somehow into a failure of Joe Biden and the Democrats, you'd think if there's one thing that this nation could come together on, it is this uh, fight against Russia touching off World War III. Really, guys, it's not that difficult. You wouldn't think it is anyway. So good news From Wall Street Journal, a wide, very wide majority of Americans, even wider than the Reuters, Reuters, uh, Ipsos poll, which was at 58 percent, a wider majority, 79 percent now say they favor a ban on Russian oil imports, even if the prohibition increased energy prices in the U.S., That, according to the new data from the Wall Street Journal poll, just 13 percent said they opposed it. The new Journal poll showed broad support for the energy ban across political breakdowns. The ban had support from 77 percent of Republicans, 77 percent. And 72% of voters who said that they would support former President Donald Trump if he ran again in 2024. So 72% of the people who would support another Trump presidency also are just fine with paying more for gas uh, if need be, uh, if that's what happens uh, after you know banning Russian oil imports.
1: If that's what it takes to fight fascism.
0: So, you know, who Fox News and the uh, the elected Republican officials we see on our TV are playing to in their critique of Biden on gas prices. That's sort of unclear to me. Among Democrats, by the way, 88 percent said they favored the moratorium on Russian oil imports, even if they had to pay more for gas because of it. The Journal polled on this question late last week and early into this week. Uh, The question they asked was, would you favor or oppose the U.S. imposing new sanctions on Russia by banning the sale of Russian oil to the U.S. even if you knew it would cause U.S. energy prices to increase? 79% of Americans said yes. 79% of Americans who do not agree on just about anything these days, who do not agree, is it daytime right now? Is it nighttime? Is the sky blue? You might not get a 79% agreement on. Uh, Meanwhile, we can fight back, yes, by, as I said, staying at home to work if you can, as we did during the lockdown when oil prices and the bargain fell so low because people were not driving to work every day that the oil companies were literally forced to pay people to take oil off of their dirty, filthy, deadly hands. Literally, the price went negative for oil. Fight fascism. Work from home if you can. Listener Susan uh, from Wisconsin r- uh, wrote in uh, to me via Bradcast at Bradblog.com with some thoughts in response to that new mantra of mine. Desi, I'd love to get your quick response to this. Okay. Uh, Susan writes, Brad, as you were talking on your latest show about how one of the benefits of the pandemic was clear skies in Los Angeles, you suggested the people who could should continue to work from home rather than drive a car. She says, I do not I do not know uh, much about the situation way out in Los Angeles, but here in Wisconsin, there are there are alternatives to driving single occupancy vehicles versus working at home. In fact, studies have found that people working at home may still drive a lot for groceries etc and then most trips actually involve short distances depending on the distance involved people can walk bike take transit or even carpool as ways to travel more sustainably i don't mean to make a big deal of it she says but mention of more sustainable travel while performing basic life chores versus just not traveling at all can insert seeds of thoughts into people's brains
1: and she's absolutely right absolutely correct that there are other transportation alternatives. Not everybody has those, especially, unfortunately, those people who live in rural areas Mm -hmm. or in GOP-controlled states where they have gutted public transit (laughs) funding and uh, are not developing more public transit funding. Mm -hmm. So obviously, making more public transit available to more people will take time. But what is there, definitely try to avail yourself of that. And I'd also add um, electric bikes, Electric bikes have uh, been a burgeoning sector of electric vehicle transportation. They're way cheaper than cars, and they can also cover that for people who have the ability to do that. The important thing, though, the really important thing is using less oil not only helps Ukraine. It also helps lower, of course, the price of gas, which helps people who right now can't work from home Mm. and who are being hit hard, even if they can work from home are still being hit hard. This is a a huge slam to their budgets, and it is likely to get worse in coming weeks.
0: Susan finishes her uh, note here by saying the main point is to ask you to please put in a good word for sustainable travel as a basic part of living. Yes it is a realistic alternative to driving in many places or at least should be don't separate it from daily living says susan in wisconsin thank absolutely you absolutely right fair thank you susan yeah fair enough and thanks for that uh for that thought uh, susan and i don't i don't disagree with any of it but you know in the shortest of short terms if a huge proportion of the country can take 3 or 4 or 5 lef- less uh, trips to work and back each day You know, that's something we can do right now, this minute. And as we saw very quickly during the pandemic lockdowns, it made a huge difference, not only on the climate, very very fast on the climate, but also on the price of gas, which right now is the only thing helping to fund Putin's appalling attack and atrocities on its neighbors in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I I just feel people want to uh, I know I want to to be able to do something to try and help here at home. And that is something that we can do. Uh, You know, I don't know if other people are picking up on on this call to uh, work at home, to fight fascism by working at home, if you can. But I hope they do, because it's just a seems like a no brainer to me. Anyway, today, I hope we help a little bit with that. Uh, And, yes, with the continuing efforts to prevent our own nation from turning into the fascist autocratic hell that Russia's supposed democracy has clearly now become. And we've still got a lot of work to do uh, there on the home front, as they say, as the forces of autocracy here continue to grow. Many of the same folks who spent the last five or six years looking up. To Vladimir Putin's leadership, Uh, many of those people continue to gain power here in the U.S. Many of them are hoping to take back a majority in the U.S. House this November. We need to stop those people as well here at home. Yes, including North Carolina's uh, congressman, first-term congressman Madison Cawthorn, And other elected officials from the autocratic MAGA mob who participated in the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Well, we have some updates today in the constitutional challenge to Cawthorn's eligibility to be on the ballot at all in the upcoming midterm elections and... Some good news, I think, on redistricting uh, this week. That uh, that also informs the story in North Carolina. All of that is ahead today on the broadcast with my guest from the group that is trying to disqualify Cawthorn from the midterm ballot in North Carolina, trying to disqualify him entirely. All of that straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the broadcast. <laughs>
1: You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.
0: Once again, Manning the Watchtower here at The Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right. Well, there was a a victory. Good news, I guess, for Democrats this week, at least for now at the U.S. Supreme Court. The court turned away efforts, challenges from Republicans in North Carolina and Pennsylvania to block state court ordered congressional districting plans. In separate orders late Monday, the justices are allowing maps that were selected by each state's Supreme Court to be in effect for the 2022 elections. Oh, how thoughtful of them. Those maps uh, in both cases are more favorable to Democrats than the ones that were drawn by the state's GOP controlled legislatures. The state's gerrymandered GOP-controlled state legislatures, by the way. The challenges to those maps, to these new maps that were approved for now, that challenge will continue. But for now, for the 2022 midterms, these new maps favored by Democrats will stay in place. In North Carolina, the map most likely will give Democrats one additional House seat in 2023. That after there was already a redistricting back in 2018 uh, when those maps uh, in that state had been found to be gerrymandered over the past decade. Similar in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania map, uh, the new one, will also probably lead to the election of more Democrats, at least according to Republicans, as the two parties battle for control of the U.S. House in the November midterms. The justices provided no explanations for their actions in turning back both of these uh, challenges by Republicans in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, uh, they decided uh, this on, uh, w- well, what is common now in emergency applications. They decided it on what is known as the shadow docket. So it, it where, you know, where there is no arguments, no uh, oral arguments, etc. cetera. So it's unclear how the votes of the nine justices on the packed and stolen Supreme Court actually broke down. But it appears that Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Amy Coney Barrett sided, it seems, with the Democratic, the three Democratic appointees on the court. And we think we know this thanks to the fact that the other four justices, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, each wrote or signed on to various dissents To the uh, uh, to to both of these uh, cases they wanted, it appears, to invoke the so-called independent state legislature theory, which we've talked about on this show several times, uh, usually with Mark Joseph Stern. It's an old and frankly bonkers constitutional theory that has never actually been supported in the history of this country by a majority on the U.S. Supreme Court, but which suddenly received new interest from the right-wingers uh, on that court and actually from the right, from, from the Republicans overall during the 2020 election. The independent state legislature theory essentially cites two clauses in the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, which reference state legislatures as having the power to set the time place and manner for elections in each state but what the the way the republicans are now choosing to interpret all of this in the independent state legislature theory is that that means that only state legislatures may create any election law or rule or provision or district map and that no other body or person no Local election officials, no secretaries of state, not even a governor through his or her veto power of what the state legislature does, not even a state Supreme Court can second guess anything that a state legislature decides about the manner of elections in this state. In other words, they could gerrymander a state district U.S. House maps any way they want and nobody can say anything in response to it it is not it is unreviewable even by the state supreme court and that by the way would also make state constitutional amendments that were adopted by voters, put through uh, ballot referenda initiatives and so forth on the ballot, that would make those also unconstitutional if this legal theory actually takes hold and if it is ever approved by a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, it seems insane that anyone would even think about this, but that is exactly, you have been warned, that is exactly what Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh appear to favor. They want this, this independent state legislature theory, and it's why they they would have taken the cases uh, from North Carolina and Pennsylvania and heard them so that they could, you know, declare that even state supreme courts have absolutely no say over how already gerrymandered state legislatures choose to redistrict or re-gerrymander their own maps or those for the state's U.S. House delegations. If it sounds nuts, it's because it is. But that's what Thomas and Alito and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are now gunning for, apparently. And all they need is one more vote on the Republicans' stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court. That's, and it was made clear in their dissents in these cases where the uh, two state Supreme Courts in Pennsylvania and North Carolina had overruled the state, legislator, state state legislatures in order to draw U.S. House maps that actually meet the requirements of their own state's constitution. Justice Sam Alito wrote in, uh, in a dissent from the uh, court's order, he was joined by Gorsuch and Thomas, quote, we will have to resolve this question sooner or later, and the sooner we do so, the better. This case presented a good opportunity to consider the issue, but unfortunately, the court has again found the occasion inopportune. Justice Kavanaugh made a similar point. He said he didn't want to interfere in this year's electoral process because it's already underway. The filing deadline for candidates for the midterm primaries in North Carolina was last Friday. But otherwise, Kavanaugh was totally interested in having this conversation about this bonkers legal theory. And if that's ever approved by a majority on the U.S. Supreme Court, all bets are are off when it comes to democracy in this country because it will all be up to the state legislatures, period.
1: It strikes at the very heart of the Constitution.
0: So there's your heads up. It's, for now, pushed off to another day, but it will be back. For now, at least... The uh, d- the two decisions by the uh, Supreme Court this week means that uh, those maps are settled for the moment in Pennsylvania and in North Carolina, the U.S. House maps. And for now, what that also means is that the challenge to the constitutional eligibility of first-term MAGA Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina to run for re-election as an alleged insurrectionist, well... That challenge may now finally move forward now that the maps are settled, or at least it could have moved forward until a lower federal court judge appointed by Cawthorn's fellow insurrectionist Donald Trump issued a stunning ruling on Friday. Let me take a quick break here. We'll come back with that stunning ruling, the story behind it. And we will be joined by the constitutional law expert who both filed the initial challenge to Cawthorn's eligibility to run for reelection this year and who today has filed the federal appeal to the Trump judge's ruling. Ron Fine of Free Speech for People will join us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one time only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hey, this is Brad here at the Brad... (music)
1: Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Mm -hmm. We'll
0: see. We'll see how uh, Madison Cawthorn feels about being in Carolina in the morning. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, I've been trying to get to this story over the past week and a half at least, but I've had to keep kicking it down the road. Thanks to Russia's war in Ukraine and other matters that have taken priority, it's been a bit frustrating since this is actually a really important story regarding the survival of democracy here at home as I see it even as the story continues to fly somewhat under the radar, has had a number of key developments over the past couple of weeks and, in fact, some stunning twists and turns along with it uh, during that time. And it's one that we had been following uh, pretty closely on this program, at least until Putin invaded Ukraine. So let's try to get caught up here as quickly as possible as my guest stands by with the latest twist uh, coming down from a federal court late last week in this pretty remarkable and arguably uh, really important story. Alright, we've been covering the challenge to the candidacy of Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn. Uh, ...to run for re-election in North Carolina. We have discussed the matter here a couple of times, I believe, uh, with constitutional law expert John Boniface, founder of the nonpartisan free speech for dot org group. They have filed the uh, challenge with the North Carolina State Board of Elections on behalf of a number of North Carolina voters in the district that Congressman Cawthorne currently serves in. The challenge is based on the Constitution's uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3, which bans uh, the eligibility for federal office like Congress or the presidency for those who, having previously sworn an oath to defend the Constitution as a federal officer, then went on to participate in, quote, insurrection or rebellion Unquote, against the same, as spelled out in the literal text of the 14th Amendment. This amendment was a post-Civil War amendment. It was in, initially intended to bar Confederate rebels who had previously served in Congress or in the armed, uh, the armed forces from then later being able to run for federal office. So Cawthorn uh, challenged in this way is uh, required to defend himself against that challenge to his candidacy before the State Board of Elections. But instead of doing that, he rushed to federal court to challenge the entire notion that the 14th Amendment should ever actually be applied to anyone, claiming that it was meant for Confederate soldiers and nobody else. And in any event, as his suit also claimed, the State Board of Elections has no right to deny anyone from the ballot who may wish to run for office. Okay. Uh, Earlier in February, we reported that the North Carolina State Board of Elections had replied to Cawthorn's federal uh, lawsuit by insisting that, yes, they actually do have the power to block his eligibility to run based on the 14th Amendment, just as they are required to determine constitutional eligibility based on things like age and residency requirements and so forth that in response to Cawthorn's ridiculous claim that the board has no power whatsoever to block anybody from running for office as the North Carolina Board of Elections said in their filing in the federal suit "quote states have long enforced age and residency requirements without question and with very few, if any, legal challenges, the state has the same authority, they said, to police which candidates should or should not be disqualified per Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Since then, in late February, the state's attorney general also rang in on the matter in federal court, filing a response to Cawthorne's suit, echoing the North Carolina Board of Elections by insisting that yes, A constitutional prohibition on insurrectionists seeking federal office can be applied to Congressman Cawthorn if the state board determines, in fact, that he aided or encouraged the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. State attorneys uh, said the provision of the 14th Amendment uh, is not a defunct Civil War era relic meant to apply only to former Confederates, but... Uh, a guard against future acts of insurrection as well. The state's filing came in a motion to dismiss Cawthorn's lawsuit against the North Carolina State Board of Elections. In the suit, Cawthorn claims the 14th Amendment provision was intended to apply only to those former Confederates who fought in the Civil War, and he cited... As evidence, a subsequent 1872 amnesty law passed by Congress that actually waived the 14th Amendment prohibition for those Confederates as evidence of his claim. Got this? I know it's confusing. Lots of twists and turns. But the state attorney general's office disagreed with Cawthorn's interpretation, citing comments from legislators who actually helped pass that 1872 amnesty law. And shortly after that filing in the federal court case, the uh, North Carolina State Board of Elections In another twist, informed the voters who were fighting to get Cawthorn booted off the ballot that, in fact, their challenge to his candidacy was no longer valid, not because of the federal court case, but because of new district maps that were established by the state court in late February. As the Republican legislature and the Democratic governor of the state fought over the new U.S. House maps that were being drawn up for redistricting following the 2020 census and to be used for the first time in the uh, midterm elections this year, because none of the voters in the challenge to Cawthorne's eligibility actually live in this new district that Cawthorn will now be running in. Uh, this would have been uh, North Carolina's 13th congressional district, but that has now been moved to a different area of the state. So because of that, the state board said those voters who originally challenged Cawthorne are now ineligible by law to try to get him disqualified from the ballot. But, but. The, non, the uh, non-partisan constitutional law experts at the Good Government and Election Reform Group Free Speech for People quickly responded to all of this and said that, in fact, uh, they w- would launch a new challenge with other voters who do live in what would now be Cawthorne's new district. And then a week or so later, in fact, a pair of voters backed by free speech for people did file that new challenge with the North Carolina State Board of Elections. So the challenge is back on. Great news for those of us who oppose insurrectionists holding public office in our representative constitutional democracy. Or at least it was great news until yet another twist in this matter came late last week from that federal court case that Cawthorn had filed, hoping to toss the entire challenge to his eligibility with the State Board of Elections. A judge on Friday blocked the novel electoral challenge that sought to disqualify Congressman Cawthorn from running for re-election by labeling labeling him as an insurrectionist. That, according to the New York Times, The uh, uh, judge issued an equally novel order, they said, that invoked a post-Civil War law that forgave Confederate soldiers and sympathizers. U.S. District Judge Richard Myers, an appointee of President Donald Trump, stepped in to this case to squelch the effort by lawyers and voters in North Carolina who had filed the motion before the State Board of Elections declaring the 26-year-old first-term congressman ineligible for re-election. But, uh, yeah, apparently this judge has now killed the case, the challenge, entirely. On what basis did this federal Trump judge find in favor of Cawthorn and order the entire matter at the North Carolina State Board of Elections to be out of order? Well, joining us now for some explanation, an idea of what, if anything, happens next and why all of this is so important in the first place is free speech for People.org's legal director, Ron Fine. Oh, Mr. Fine. Welcome back to the broadcast, counselor. Always a pleasure to return. Okay, that was uh, a really long and convoluted and uh, tale with many twists and turns. Did I get anything major uh, incorrect in my telling so far?
2: Uh, you hit all the high points as well as the low points.
0: Okay, fair enough. Now before we get to Judge Meyer's ruling and, and how you all plan to respond, uh, why, Ron Fine, is this case, this, this challenge at the State Board of Elections, so important as free speech for people sees it, above and beyond the specific challenge to one single member of Congress, uh, in this case Madison Cawthorne?
2: look, it's important to hold the people who are responsible for January 6th accountable. And, and that's not just the people who stormed the Capitol and were engaged in hand-to-hand combat with the police officers. That's also the leaders who encouraged, spurred them on, and, and helped plan some of the events of those days. And that includes Madison Cawthorn, as well as uh, other members of Congress, and, of course, Donald Trump. And these people are a danger To our democracy, they pose an ongoing threat and can never be trusted with public office. And that's exactly why this provision is in the
0: Constitution. And why was Madison Cawthorn in this case? Why is he the first candidate, so far the only candidate, I think, to be challenged in this way under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment?
2: Well, Cawthorn was the first, but he certainly won't be the last. And every state has a different timetable for filing candidate challenges. Mm -hmm. So there will be more coming. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we, we spoke to your FSFP colleague, our friend John Bonifaz, a, a bit about this last time he was on with us. But what, what did Cawthorn actually do as you see it, as you charge, that qualifies him as an insurrectionist? Uh, who should be uh, barred from running for office. I mean, I see the people who uh, attacked the Capitol as insurrectionists. I don't think Cawthorne actually uh, attacked the Capitol. He was not charged, after all, at least so far, with insurrection or sedition. Um, so who determines when someone has, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution, as Section 3 literally uh, says?
2: What's interesting about this is that Section 3 was enforced and implemented for several years after the Civil War. And although it hasn't been applied for well over a century, uh, we do have a case law, and understanding of what it meant from that era. And it was definitely not meant to be limited to just the foot soldiers, and in fact... uh, When the the, the text was drafted, it was designed to not even really apply to the foot soldiers. It, It requires somebody who took an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States and then broke that oath to engage in rebellion. So they were aiming for the leadership. And in decision after decision, courts that were applying Section 3 in those days after the Civil War said that engage means... Uh, not just, you know, the people who are shooting, you know, Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, never picked up a gun, mm. but it means all those who voluntarily aided or assisted the insurrection in any way. And that's the principle that we're applying to Madison Cawthorn.
0: And how do you believe that he aided or, or assisted uh, in this case?
2: Well, it's a combination of factors but let, let me hit some of the high points or maybe we should call them the low, low points. points yeah so <laughs> so it's not just that he told his supporters and this is on video to threaten their congressman and it's not just that he uh, told uh supporters in the days leading up to uh, January 6th um that uh, you know that the future of the republic hinges on your actions of a solitary few uh and it's not just that he was uh, involved in speaking at the demonstration on the morning of January 6th from which Donald Trump sent people marching down to the Capitol to attack. But we also have reports from the the people who planned the events of January 6th that they were working with uh, a small number of congressional offices, mm-hmm. one of which was Madison Cothorn's, in to help plan these events.
0: And so he would be able to defend himself against these charges in a hearing before the State Board of Elections, a panel before the State Board of Elections, but instead of doing that, he's gone straight to federal court and said... Uh, The state board doesn't have a right to challenge me at all, at least not under uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And apparently uh, uh, the judge, the federal judge here, agreed. The New York Times reported on Friday, Judge Myers sided with the argument of James Bopp Jr., a prominent conservative campaign lawyer who noted that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment concluded with a caveat, quote, Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. And referring to the disability of insurrectionists to run for federal office, presumably, the Amnesty Act of 1872 did just that. Both uh, Bop and and the judge in this case contended, when Congress declared that quote all political disabilities imposed by the third section of the Fourteenth Amendment were quote hereby removed. From all persons whomsoever. So it's the Amnesty Act of 1872 that apparently uh, countermands the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Is Cawthorne's lawyer and the judge appointed by Cawthorne's friend Donald Trump here, are they wrong?
2: They're very wrong, and I I have to say there are some tricky issues in a case like this, but this is not one of them. Um, This is a, a patently absurd ruling. To understand what the purpose of the 1872 Amnesty Act was, it is very clear from the legislative history and from all the public discussions that it was intended to apply to ex-Confederates and and only ex-Confederates, and there was no discussion or inclination of the idea that it would uh, apply to people who wouldn't be born for over a century. And to read it otherwise, as the, the judge did, just flies in the face of everything we know about the 1872 amnesty act.
0: I, I, not just the, of the act, but of the way it seems to me, uh, you know, and I'm I'm not a, a constitutional law expert, but it seems to me it flies in the face of everything we understand about the constitution and and the rule of law and the way it's supposed to be applied. Cawthorn's attorney said last week according to the Times that because the 14th amendment itself applied to past and future insurrections So, therefore, did the subsequent amnesty that was given to the Confederate soldiers in the Amnesty Act. Judge Myers agreed with that. But this seems to suggest that an act of Congress in this case without ratification by the states or anything else has essentially and effectively abolished the entire constitutional amendments third section. You're a constitutional expert. What am I not understanding here?
2: Uh, You're you're understanding all of it. And what what makes it particularly ironic is that in the debates leading up to Section 3, there was a faction in Congress that wanted to explicitly limit Section 3 to just the Civil War. So there were different drafts that were Mm -hmm. ultimately rejected that would have only applied Section 3 to the Civil War. But they decided to write it in a very broad way so that it would apply to all future insurrections. And what, what uh, Bopp, who is Cawthorne's lawyer, and, and this judge would have you believe is that the same Congress that um, in 1866 drafted and which was ratified in 1868, the 14th Amendment to apply for all time, would then, six years later, without any discussion whatsoever uh, or anybody even suggesting that this would be an impact, through passing a mere bill uh, that doesn't, you know, go to the states for ratification as a constitutional amendment, somehow undermine that for all future insurrections.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's really bizarre. Did Judge Myers speak to that seeming contradiction in in his ruling?
2: You know, he didn't issue a written order. Ah. We just have the transcript of what he said. Um, And it was a very limited, very limited discussion that he gave.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, the uh, state AG, uh, in, in its argument, uh, according to Politico, said that Congress itself had applied the 14th Amendment prohibition in 1919, which is obviously well after the Amnesty Act of 1872. They applied it against a man named Victor Berger, who was barred from office for violating the Espionage Act during World War One. How can it be that Congress ended the validity of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, with the Amnesty Act back in 1872 and then went on to cite that specific clause in order to bar someone from office during, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, after after World War One? Did Judge Myers speak to that seeming contradiction?
2: He did not, but it's a glaring inconsistency. And and to to put the difference in time between 1872 and and 1919 in context, it's roughly the same distance as we are now from Watergate. So, you know, it was a while ago, Um, but it still, you know, informs our discussion. It's in living memory of some people, and and certainly people, you know, learn about it. And in that Victor Berger case, um, there was an open discussion of, whether you know the fourteenth amendment was only applicable to the civil war whether it applied to the future and um, congress decided you know it, it applies to all future uh, insurrectionary conduct and excluded burger and the thing is Bomp and the judge are saying that the plain meaning of the eighteen seventy two amnesty act is that it forgives you know all future insurrectionists well if it was the plain meaning how come Victor Berger never brought it up? How come no one brought it up in 1919 at a time when many people, you know, would remember that having happened? It didn't even occur to anyone to raise that argument. It's not that they considered it and rejected it. No one even thought to raise that argument because it's so patently absurd.
0: This is uh, this is just kind of insane. And you mentioned that the the judge here made a, uh, a an oral um, uh, response to dismiss the case. Will he eventually offer a, a written ruling here so we can actually understand, you know, his his response to these uh, claims? Uh, he probably will
2: issue a written ruling, um, but, uh, you know, we're not going to sit around and, and wait for that to
0: happen. Because there's deadlines here for, uh, for filing, for candidacies. The primaries are upcoming uh, in North Carolina, I think, in is it, is it May? If I'm, uh, yeah, it's May. Coming That's up right. in May? So yep. I guess the question is, well, what now? Since Cawthorn was suing the North Carolina State Board of Elections, I think, in federal court, does that mean that the state board must be the one to appeal this federal court ruling? Or are, are you able to do that on behalf of your voter clients in North Carolina?
2: Well, the state board certainly can uh... we uh... on behalf of our, our voters in north carolina had moved to intervene in the district court which uh... which judge myers denied but uh... on uh, wednesday uh, we filed a notice of appeal uh... of both the, the denial of the, the motion to, to intervene uh, of course and we're also going to be challenging the grant of the preliminary injunction
0: So. Uh, so you are challenging this. Has the state court made a a decision one way or another? Have they officially dropped uh, the challenge based on the the federal court ruling?
2: As of right now, of course, the state board is under an injunction uh, okay. against proceeding. So our goal is to get that injunction lifted as soon as possible. Um, you know, while the appeal is is proceeding. And uh, if you know the court of appeals uh, needs to take some time to evaluate it, there are many preliminary steps in the the process that can move forward. In the meantime, the, the state board uh, can appoint a panel, um, which would be the one that would hear it, mm-hmm. and we could begin the discovery process. And you know, even if the court of appeals at the end of the day is is uh, going to uh, take go down a different route, mm-hmm. in the meantime, there's no reason that this injunction should be blocking. Us from moving forward. You
0: should be able to move forward with the hearings and so forth while he challenges it even if the state board ends up finding uh, uh, either that he's disqualified or not, that can also be adjudicated later. I mean Cawthorn could have gone could have gone to federal court after the state board uh, ruled one way or another on this, right?
2: He could have, or he could do the the way that it's intended for a candidate challenge process in North Carolina, which is that uh, if you get a ruling that you don't like from the, the panel, you can appeal that to the State Board of Elections, the full state board in, in Raleigh. And then if you don't like that ruling, you can apply to uh, for an appeal to the North Carolina Court of Appeals and if you don't like that you can go to the North Carolina Supreme Court and if he didn't like that he could appeal to the US Supreme Court or at least try to uh, and, and that's the court system of the state that he uh, claims to want to represent uh, but he has no interest in following his own state's laws and
0: yet uh, this uh, this federal judge and I was actually quite stunned by his ruling last week Uh, uh, sort of uh, under undercut all of that and said, nope, this case got to be thrown out. Uh, Will this will this ruling you had mentioned, Ron Fine, that there were going to be other challenges to other candidates uh, who participated in the insurrection, uh, potentially even Donald Trump, if he decides to run again. So as it stands right now, does this ruling in federal court prevent you or, or others from filing similar challenges to the candidacies, I guess, of other members of Congress uh, who, who also participated?
2: Absolutely not. The ruling of one district court judge uh, doesn't bind uh, any district court judge uh, anywhere in the country, not, not in the same state, and in fact, it doesn't even bind the same judge himself. So, regardless of what happens with this judge's ruling, we fully intend to proceed with challenges to other insurrectionists,
0: you know, I uh, watching this case, uh, even as uh, this this uh, this war, frankly, on democracy itself, is playing out overseas. You know, just sort of underscores the importance, at least to me, of uh, shoring up our own democracy, and you know, the idea that an insurrectionist against our own government could could run for congress for president what of the sort of last question here i think of the what of the many you know members of the military veterans etc who who have actually been charged and or convicted for you know violently attacking the capitol and its law enforcement officials on january 6 2021. Uh, in hopes of preventing the ratification of the Electoral College votes in a legitimate presidential election that was certified by all 50 states, can they, you know, for example, get out of prison? Can they run for Congress uh, and for Senate, for President of the United States, under Judge Meyer's interpretation of the law here?
2: Under Judge Meyer's interpretation, uh, that there is a, a very narrow um uh, accepted group because the 1872 amnesty uh, didn't apply to I think foreign ministers of the United States and heads of departments. Um, so, so there are a few categories of people that even Judge Myers would say uh, you know were not covered by the 1872 amnesty and therefore um, they're still subject to Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. But for the vast majority of the people who were involved in January 6th and who had taken an oath to um, to defend the Constitution. Judge Meyer's logic would basically say that Section 3, of the 14th Amendment, doesn't apply to them anymore, that they've been forgiven in advance.
0: <laughs> so so the people, that heads uh, who, who run the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, if they served in the military, made this uh, oath to defend the Constitution before, then went on to attack the U.S. Capitol. They can run for president of the United States if they want under this uh, ruling from this federal judge, as I understand it. It's remarkable. I know you guys plan to uh, you guys have already appealed and, and are hoping to, to put the brakes on this as soon as possible. Your work at, uh, as I say, every time you're on with us, John Bonifaz is on with us. Susan Greenhall is on with us. The work the free speech for people.org is doing is critically important for our democracy, for our Elections for our constitution, for our yes, free speech rights. Uh, you can get more information on this case and the work that uh, FSFP does at FreeSpeechForPeople.org. They're on Twitter at FSFP, and Ron Fine, their legal director uh, for Free Speech for People, can also be found on Twitter at ron fine ron uh please stay uh in touch with us as this moves forward because i think this is way more important than uh most in the media and in the country are, are are currently uh understanding it to be
2: it will be my pleasure to return hopefully with uh with better news of a victory
0: that sounds good thanks ron thank you Okay, we have got a woo a lot of <laughs> lot of information on today's show. Yes. Sorry about that. You may if you may need to listen to it two or three more times. If you do, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you kind enough to support our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com/slash donate. So thanks to you for listening today. Thanks to Desi Doyan, our producer. You can drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I'll see you there until we see you here next time, cause we gotta get out. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.